0: You're listening to The Issues Podcast. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. This is an episode of The Issues Podcast with your hosts, Stephen Russ, Tom Brennan, and Martin Wickens. Jude the Obscure. I heard it referred to in one of the uh, sources I was studying as the Acts of the Apostates.
1: Yes, you used that line already. That's how uh-huh. long we've been chatting. And so, you drew that. See, I prefer to take a more
2: positive spin on it, you know, because it, it does appear a very contentious book, but I think it's contention born out of love and hope. Mm hmm. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I
0: think that's indicated in the very first part of the verses. In for the sure. Last. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So let's jump in. Um, we're rolling. So let's go ahead and jump in. Um, this is a, a different type of episode for our podcast, but we did this in the last
2: season with... Hey, can I just cut you off? You Should can open in prayer. Sure. Yeah, let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for this day you've given to us. And Lord, we thank you for the responsibilities you've placed on our shoulders at heavier times, but we're, we're privileged to bear them. Lord, I thank you for the time we have together now to uh, just discuss you and your word, and we pray we would do it faithfully and in a way that's a help to our hearers, Um, and Lord, we just pray that you would use it in uh, a way uh, that only you can, as we pray in Jesus' name, my man. Amen. So
0: this particular episode is a different type of episode, but it was something that we started last season, and we began with the study of Habakkuk, I think I pronounced that correctly, ever since Martin has me saying it differently, I never know how to pronounce it. But uh, Habakkuk was a book that we just basically, for the episode, opened our Bibles, set them down in front of our microphones, and um, studied through the book, worked through it. Um, I don't know. I, I felt like the last time we did this, we had just really positive feedback. Did you guys feel the same way, or, or was it just me?
2: You got to use yeah, your I think there's the a lot way. of positive feedback. I think people enjoyed. Yeah, For, for our listeners, um, Tom just gave it a thumbs up. And I think that the was feedback was very positive, <laughs> and I think people they want to know the word; they want uh, scripture.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, and for, I guess because it was just raw, unfiltered, plain, walking through every verse, talking about it from different perspective. I mean, you know, there's the reality that all of us have probably studied through this at some point or another. Uh, but I know f- for me personally, this has not been a book that I have preached out of in a very long time. So I don't, I don't have sermon notes in front of me. I think Martin has a whole series in front of him. I'm just saying. That's cheating. But uh, all I have is, is uh, the Bible and a pen and a piece of paper. So that'll be the way I agree days. with you. I,
1: I don't have a lot of experience in Jude either. I've read a book or two on Jude, and of course I've preached the occasional sermon from it, but I've never preached a contextual series from it in the sense mm-hmm. of preaching through it expositionally, which is how you really get to know a, a, a book or a passage. That's correct. Uh, so you and I are both going to rely on Martin us and reap, oh, reap yes. the glory as a result.
0: <laughs> this is a this is a fast and loose way of saying that we haven't prepped and Martin has, so just so everybody knows.
2: Hey, I can't handle the pressure, guys. No, I've I preached through it, um, I think, in two churches, and I also preached it in a church conference, and so I, I just learned to love the book. I think it's one of these little books that just has such depth to it, and you, you can just find so much mm-hmm. uh, wonderful doctrine to apply. And very needful for the day in which we live. Yeah, absolutely.
1: So do you think there's there's an overarching theme to the book of Jude, Martin?
2: I do. Um, I mean, obviously, when you first go into it, you have the most well-known verse, probably, earnestly contend for the truth. But when you get down towards the end of the book, you see that his motivation isn't just to be contentious. He's not someone who's got like this big fight to his spirit. Uh, but you get down towards the end, and he says, but you, beloved, build up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God. And when I've preached through it, that verse in 21, keep yourselves in the love of God, that's Mm -hmm. why he wants them doctrinally pure and practically pure and to cast out the apostates. He wants them to keep themselves in the love of God. So I would say that that theme of love is what runs all the way through it, but you have to read the end of the little epistle before you can you know before you see all that come together I would, I would I, counter that I'm ahead. sorry
0: go ahead Tom
1: well I was just gonna say that's interesting because I, I don't I don't think I've ever heard that approach to the Book of Jude before in the sense that it's essentially about keeping yourself in the love of God I realize mm-hmm. that verse is in there and it means something but generally speaking every everything I've come across said that the that the major theme or or Emphasis of the book is to contend for the faith. Mm-hmm. I, I, I believe that is correct.
2: Is, yeah, I, yeah, I would say that's true. Yeah, I think that's true. That you know, the contending for the faith is is prominent there, but I think it's looking at the why. I think sometimes right. contending for the faith becomes contentious and ineffective yes. when love yes. is absent from it. Yeah, I would think too. A good mm-hmm.
0: application would be a soldier who goes off to fight for his country. He's contending because of his love for his country, right? There's a there's a heart reason behind it. And one thing I would say, Martin, is is that what something at the beginning of the of the passage that supports what you're saying is it seems to indicate that he set out to write a very positive le- uh, letter to the people. And instead, he said, you know, it was needful instead to write this into you, whereas he was going to write about the common salvation. He said, I actually need to write to you that you contend for the faith. And so that may tell us a little bit about Jude himself. I mean, Jude is someone who I think was a very loving person. He's the, he's the half brother of Jesus. Uh, have you guys ever done a, a study into into that? That's pretty neat to realize that there was a time in John where it says they didn't believe he was the Messiah. Yep. Is that John chapter seven, he doesn't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus apparently shows up um, and reveals himself ex- just exclusively to his brethren, to his family, to prove to him who he who he was. And so Jude is is saying, I wanted to bring you this very positive message, but instead I've got to bring you this exhortation or this warning, uh, a negative letter of warning. You know, it's it's a reminder that everything that has a positive to it requires a negative as well. There's got to be a balancing factor, and, and in our faith, there are going to be times where we have to contend. Um, all of us know this who are pastors, right? There are going to be some times that it's just like, man, you go home and you think, wow, the Holy Spirit was moving. The Spirit was great. And then there are going to be times you go home and go, oh my goodness, you know, we're in the fight for our lives. Um, there's going to be positive and negative throughout the Christian journey, and you've got to contend. You've got to have that negative. You've got to have that attitude.
1: I think that's part of, so you, you you mentioned something that I've come across before, which is that Jude started out to write about the common salvation, but couldn't mm-hmm. and switched to contending for the faith. I'm not sure I agree with that necessarily, uh, because I do think that his point here in that, in the way he introduced that, was that contending for the faith is part of the common salvation. Mm. In other words, something that every believer has to learn to do is to contend for the faith. That's not just something that you know the big wigs do, or the authors do, or the big preachers do, or the past generations do. Uh, the faith is once delivered, but has to be contended for in every generation. And yeah. I think that that idea of of as as part of our inheritance and salvation, we have this responsibility to take a stand when mm-hmm. the faith is under attack. And and so I, I think there's a little more of a linkage there than perhaps maybe maybe yeah. the way you view it.
0: No, I think I actually do agree with what you said in the sense that, that I think that's the point I was trying to make, right So if you if you are going to have a positive message of Jesus saves, there's also got to be the yes. message of there must be contending. There must be a, there must be a, um, uh, a sense of urgency, a sense of warfare, all of those things. It goes along with the love that Christ expresses to us through mm-hmm. salvation. I, I really like the phrase if we could before we move on from verse three there, it says we need to earnestly contend for the faith, which was once delivered unto the saints. Now, to me, that's a great verse to use with people who bring in the Book of Mormon or uh, other you know, religious writings that, that they say are extra-biblical revelation. Does that sound like a, a, a good
2: passage to use for that? Absolutely. I think it's, you know, Jude wasn't the last book of the New Testament, the last book of the Bible to be written, but that idea of being once delivered is that the, the information about the faith had been delivered there would be nothing contradictory um there would be nothing to you know correct or go back on like you know the truth had been delivered and now what you know jude and john were doing you know john the book of revelation it was uh explaining clarifying but like the faith has been Delivered mm-hmm. to us, so there's not going to be a different way of salvation, like you say with the Book of Mormon. You know, there's not going to be anything to contradict the body of orthodox truth that had been delivered prior to John uh, Jude writing
1: what he did. Yeah, I yeah. agree with both of you. Um, if I could sort of syn- uh, synchronize that, or um, the the I happen to be preaching or teaching a series on cults and false religions in our church right now, and. All of these cults and false religions, almost all of them offer some extra biblical revelation as their justification for right. their approach. And many of them, what they're essentially saying in that extra biblical revelation is we're fixing what's wrong with the Bible. And so mm. that's where, you know, it, it It may not necessarily say that Jude is not saying that there's no more revelation to come because we realize there's still more of the Bible to be written. But you're, to your point, Brother Wickens, that you're that the faith that has been delivered is to remain unchanged. And so nothing that's going to come along after that is going to alter it and anything that comes along has to be measured by it. Um, mm-hmm. So I I think I agree with both of you on that.
0: Yeah. Amen. Uh, moving on. So verse one, two, and three, basically a greeting
2: and I just want a declaration to say declaration you know, about the, the purpose. Sure. You know, I'm just, um, just thinking about the humanity of Jude, because you said, you know, he was a very loving person or character. Um, but I think he must have became a loving person after his right. salvation. Uh, it, you know, if this is the Jude that is the brother of Jesus, which is where I, you know, I land on it, I believe he was, but you mentioned, you know, he at one point didn't believe and it was amongst the brothers, I'm sure, that were mocking Jesus and saying, hey, look, if you're the Messiah, go up, you know, prove it. Mm-hmm. And, and now you find, you know, little brother sticking up for big brother, as it were, and you know, mm. challenging people and just that change in his character. I know you've been preaching yeah. through the disciples, but I think seeing some of the humanity behind it kind of helps me get a better grasp of the the book.
0: That's a great statement that really, I think is validated by verse one where he's writing and he says to them that are sanctified by God, the father and preserved in Jesus Christ. He was also speaking of himself in that. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. he's writing to people like that, but he's one who's also sanctified in God the Father. That that process of sanctification in our lives certainly can make us into someone that we weren't before.
1: I think that human that human side of Jude is seen in what he doesn't say in verse one. Mm. He doesn't say he's Jesus' brother. That's right. He calls he's himself a right. servant of Christ, which is a mm. a. It's very humble because he, he, you know if. If you could have a position as somebody, you know, you would have claimed it as I'm. I'm Jesus' brother, wouldn't that have got him, mm-hmm. you know, all kinds of attention and glory? And but he doesn't approach it that way. It, it it would have been unspoken and understood, but he does not introduce himself that way. It's almost like not that he's effacing himself, but that he's putting in the forefront the fact that he's a believer in Christ and, mm-hmm. and in the faith of Christ, uh, rather than his human relationship with him as a as a half brother. Mm.
2: Yeah, he mentions about being a brother of James, but like you said, that's not him. He's not name-dropping his relation to Jesus. He's saying, okay, especially you know who this book is coming from, this is who I am, but not to get any kind of special hearing or reverence or anything. Yeah, I like that. Awesome. And one other kind of introductory thing. Now, guys, I've got – I don't want to like drag this into like a seven-series podcast, but um, I know one thing that helped me to look for in the book is Jude's – use of triads, and, and I, I, like, I like order and themes and patterns, but when he describes his own identity, it's Jude, the servant of Christ, the brother of James. He talks about his reader's identity. They're sanctified, preserved, and called. His prayer of blessing on them, it's mercy, peace, and love. Uh, the apostate's identity, they defiled the flesh, despised dominion, spoke evil of dignitaries. And then his Old, Old Testament examples, um, three apostates, Cain, Balaam, Korah, um, you know, he just keeps bringing up this pattern of threes. Uh, and the other thing, in kind of an introductory sense, is his knowledge of the Old Testament is just outstanding. Yes. Like he weaves in. Yes. And whether that's a testimony to what he learned after he came to faith or a testimony to the parenting of Joseph and Mary, I don't know. But right. his knowledge of the Old
1: Testament is it's just everywhere. That's a great point, Brother Wickens, because I think it does. It, I think it is a testimony to the parenting of Joseph and mm-hmm. Mary, because sure. Jesus knew the Old Testament not just when he was thirty and he started public ministry. He knew it very well when he was twelve, and I know from mm-hmm. just studying that that they would have learned essentially first at home, and then their first school would have been in the synagogue, and their first textbook would have been the Torah, uh, you know, the Law and the Prophets, et cetera, and so you see that not just jesus knew the bible the old his bible very well but his brother jude knew the bible very well as well that's a mm-hmm. that, that's a great point i like that
0: and i had not made the connection on the triads but as i'm looking down notes that i've made they're in threes and it's like oh wow that's, there you go
2: right there so which makes it great for a uh, three points in a poem yeah. <laughs> you know if you're three points in a poem kind of a preacher you know so.
0: He, he's a Baptist. He's just not alliterated. So, oh well. <laughs> um, so moving moving down with Tom. Tom loves alliteration, by the way. Yeah,
1: yeah, uh, uh yes, yes. huh, yeah.
0: Moving no. down into verse four, where he begins to really talk about that whole idea. He says, "I'm I'm writing to you." He says, "I I was giving all diligence to write of the common salvation." He said, it "Became just needful." I love that word. It was like I, he was he's compelled to write. And he exhorts them that they should contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. And then he goes immediately into why that is. Uh, he doesn't say what that is so much as he says why that is. And he says there are false prophets. There are those who are creeping in unawares who before were ordained of this con- to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. That reminds me of two different writings in the New Testament. One is Galatians 1. And the other is Second Peter, mm-hmm. because a lot of what we're going to read is in Second Peter as well, even some of the examples. But Galatians chapter one, if you read, and I won't read all of them, but I have verses six through 10 here. Paul says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. He's dealing very forcefully with these men. He's identifying them. He's marking, and you know, the idea of mark and avoid is is mm-hmm. seeming to be uh, present in this passage of scripture. He's making them look very bad. I mean, the wording of it. He says, "I want you to know how bad these guys are." So I have a couple questions of you guys, and and it says they've crept in unawares. Okay, Peter talked about the doctrines of devils. But I think you study that out even in second Peter. It starts as a minuscule difference, so it's it's hard to identify. But then he says, "Who were before of old ordained to this condemnation? Explain that phrase to me.
2: Where are we at with that well the the Creeping in unawares. That's the idea of smuggling something in. No, that's in. the one so, I
1: wanted to explain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have an answer for that one. I don't have an answer for the one that Russ just asked. So Why could do you, you think you, that, that, deal with the one <laughs> that Russ just asked and then flip the easy one back to me? <laughs>
2: okay, well, I would make the connection here with um, verses 14 and 15. Um, Enoch also the seventh from Adam prophesied of these, saying, behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment. So I think what Jude is saying is that the men themselves weren't ordained to be apostates, oh, yeah. but good. the judgment upon them was ordained. And he says, "Look, even uh, all the way back to Enoch, you know, their judgment has been determined." Okay, so it's it's a note to the consistency of the nature of God then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good and he's he's making it clear from the outset. Look, contend against them, agonize. You know that that word there, contend for means to agonize. Uh, well, we get our word for agony, but. You know you 've got to fight against these men because they and their followers are going to be judged, and God has always had it ready for them that one day he 's going to come with ten thousands of his saints you know there's this myriad number, and they 're going to be judged, so don 't get caught up in their error mm-hmm. that's
1: that 's a really good answer I really like that that 's helpful um to to your former point to the to the early part of the verse about um crept in unawares. I think that one of the devil's identifying characteristics is deceit. Um, I think of, I can't think of the passage it's in maybe Timothy, where the Bible talks about seducing spirits mm-hmm. and they don't come, they don't advertise themselves as, as evil and wicked and filthy. They come in as attractive, right? The angel of light, that, that passage, I think that's in Corinthians. And so you have to be willing to, you have to be able to see how they how they creep in and appear to be good and appear to mm-hmm. be helpful. And I think that links that with the, with a, with the latter part of the verse during the grace of God and lasciviousness that yes. you see this in our generation. Oh my soul constantly mm-hmm. where it's a wrong understanding of grace and a wrong application of grace produces yes. essentially what the Puritans of four or 500 years ago called antinomianism, which is living as if there was no law of God and mm-hmm. Of course, there's certain aspects of the Old Testament law we are not under. I would maintain there are certain aspects of the Old Testament law we are still under. I've written about that extensively. But these these folks who misunderstand grace, they essentially say there is no law besides, quoting Augustine, love God and do as you please. Mm -hmm. And that essentially becomes a very appealing message, which then becomes a very dangerous message because people think they can be Christian and godly and be as rotten as they want to be. Right. That's the grace of God into lasciviousness, and that's how they creep in. They creep in slowly, they they appear to be biblical, they sell people the line they wanna that they, they wanna hear, and people accept them and they move further and further and further into error. That's that's so true. Um
0: it talks about in, in Galatians I just read that it says they would pervert the gospel of God. right? Uh, and and that fits with what you're saying. By the way, a little clarification, what you said earlier about seducing spirits, that's First Timothy 4, as is the doctrines of devils, which I think I attributed to Peter earlier, but it's actually Paul. Um, but now one thing that, that I found interesting about this is that he tells them why they need to contend, but his explanation of why targets not their teaching, but their living okay, so it's not it's not attacking mm-hmm. what they're teaching you, which I think the the teaching is how they creep in unawares. They maintain just enough of the good, and sometimes like what you said, it's what you don't say. Um, they don't say some things or they pervert other things and and in this passage of scripture. What we what we see again in scripture, at least what I'm seeing is I'm looking at the bigger bigger picture here. We're kind of we're we're getting into the the details of every verse, which which is good. But bad living is an indication of bad theology.
1: Absolutely, mm-hmm.
0: that's that is the essence of what Jude is writing. He does not tell us what they taught; he tells us how they're living. And the two things that get us get us all the time he deals with morality and money. He deals with greed. He deals with immorality, he does with all of those things in such a way as to really be clear that this living, this lifestyle is a result of bad theology, false teaching.
2: I once heard it said that behavior always follows belief. Yes. And that's the order that Paul takes in Ephesians and in Colossians, it's like three solid chapters of believe, 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 and then it goes on to behavior. Uh, A great danger we can fall into is we try to correct the behavior before we've established the correct belief. Yep.
0: Yeah, that's, that's a good point. So it's a double-edged sword. Absolutely. Um, so one of the, one of the triads you were, you were talking about, I saw this when, when I was just reading through this, um, earlier in preparation for today, he deals with sets, like three sets of things almost, um, he, deal, he deals with um, Sodom and Gomorrah. So, in, I'm sorry, in verse, verse 6, rather, and verse 5 and 6, he deals with the children of Israel, and he deals with um, angels. So in mm-hmm. those two things, verse 5, he says, I want you to remember, I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. So there's a which, there's a warning in that.
1: Go ahead. I'm which sorry. speaks to your point that, that the reason that God wants purity here, or the reason we have to contend for the faith, is we don't experience that same judgment that will fall mm-hmm. upon the apostate unbelievers. Um, and, and I think that's borne out in verse number five there.
2: Yeah. And he's giving them, he's showing them how they can contend for the faith. So he doesn't just say, all right, guys, go out there, fight for the faith, you know, be warmed and filled. Now he's going to tell them how to, and he's like, "Know your Bibles, you know. Remember mm. Israel. Remember the angels. <laughs> remember Sodom and Gomorrah." He says, "You once knew this. Mm. You used to know this." <laughs> you know, for a young That's- preacher, it's a great revelation to realize. You know, Paul wrote to Timothy, and he said, "You'll be a good minister if you put them in remembrance of these things." Yes, and we have this inclination to want to bring out something new and novel that no one's ever heard before, and. As a preacher, you're very. You should very quickly run out of new and novel things in terms of mm. you know years, but um, you're going to remind people far more than you're going to teach people, right? And that's the
0: thing is we we may f- we may be looking for different ways to say it, but it boils down to saying the same things. Like there's a certain number of themes and principles and things in the Bible that we're supposed to just constantly keep before because they affect our living now. Mm-hmm. other things affect our knowing our knowledge which is certainly helpful but in all scripture is profitable but you're going to boil it down to some of the main things the new testament in many passages of scripture it it summarizes humongous portions of the old testament and gives you the application on a silver platter uh, mm-hmm. peter was one of those right where he you know we we're supposed to be in remembrance of these things if you do these things you'll be fruitful You won't be
1: barren. Yeah, you use the word fruitful, right? Which is what Peter uses. Um, I think think one of the indications of the way you can tell that's happening is when you walk into a healthy church. Mm -hmm. Because the only way a church is healthy is if it's fed the word of God carefully. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that is going to involve a constant stream of reminding and reminding and reminding and not forgetting to remind about one particular thing. It's placing the emphasis like, Clarence Sexton says where god places the emphasis mm-hmm. not overemphasizing what god doesn't want to you know overemphasize etc it's that that i think the word balanced is overused but that sense of coming back to the people again and again in proper mm-hmm. context with not just context of hermeneutics but context of how much god wants this particular thing to be brought up again and again and again and again versus mm-hmm. something else when right. you do that right, when you do that well, you end up with a spiritually healthy church or a spiritually healthy environment. And it's a yeah. great blessing to everyone in, in in the embrace of it.
0: Yeah, verse six, yeah. then goes so to I the angels did- which kept go ahead,
2: Martin. Uh, I was just gonna say, you know, if you've been in a church, let's say I'm gonna pull a number out of the air here, but ten years and you've been going Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday, special conferences, you've been reading your Bible every day. After about 10 years, you should have a pretty healthy knowledge of the Bible. Yes. And then, so I just wanted to say, you know, I'm not saying someone should go to church for six months and then that's it. But like right. over a number of years, you should know a good amount of information a knowledge. And like you said, Tom, that, that's a healthy church where, the, you mm-hmm. know, things are taught systematically, consecutively. Um, and then a lot of it starts coming down to remembrance. And then you do have that great blessing of being able to counsel people and say, Okay, so you know, like you were about to say there, Stephen, and I, I cut you off again, but, um, you know, remember what happened to the angels, you know, remember what happened mm-hmm. to, to Israel.
0: Yeah, that, that's what I was going to move on to is verse six. But anytime Martin speaks up, I'm going to shut up and let him talk because um, it's about time. So the angels, which kept not their first state, but left their own habitation, it says he hath reserved an everlasting chains under darkness under the judgment of the great day. Uh, interesting, right? So they were—they kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation. Have you ever, have you guys ever given the, the idea of given thought to the idea of angels and free will? Because it certainly seems indicated in this passage of scripture.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I've heard the position argued that angels had free will once, or okay. they were able to make a choice once. I, I, I think I would encourage. It's it's rare that people will do this, but it's such a blessing. To read John Milton's Paradise Lost, it used to be read uh, much more Mm -hmm. widely than it is now, but he does an astounding job of walking you through the thought process behind the demonic or devilish rebellion against God. And it's a a, a fascinating um, just thought exercise. It really is, in addition Mm -hmm. to being good writing. But it it fits in exactly with what you just said there, Brother Ross.
2: Yeah, that just stood out to me. They left. They kept. They, not. they had one. They had a crisis point, and I think that point where they said, "Okay, I'm going to follow Satan or I'm going mm-hmm. to follow God," that was in essence their their last breath. Kind of the human dies, and the point of decision they're at at that point that cements it for eternity. And the angels mm-hmm. don't die in the same sense as humans do, but once they made that choice, it was forever made, and there's no redemption for them.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, then, then it moves on again. So you, you, you deal with Egypt, the, the, the children of Israel coming out of Egypt and angels. And then the very next verse is about Sodom and Gomorrah. And he makes some very specific application because after we deal with Sodom and Gomorrah, he's going to say, likewise, also these filthy dreamers. So the false teachers that he is uh, so clearly marking. Um, he is going to give them. He's going to give them quite the condemnation. But it says that the cities, or uh, the Sodom and Gomorrah, and the cities about them, in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire.
2: Uh, I've, again, see the, this is where Jude kind of had yeah, it a little bit wrong here because the the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was that they weren't hospitable to yes. guests coming <laughs> through and. You know, Jude's gone down this line of thinking it's about homosexuality, uh, which um, yeah. um so yeah. we just
1: need to. <laughs> if Jude could have just read Twitter, he would have known better. I mean, you know, yeah, that's right. That's
2: right. Yeah. Um, no, I, it makes it so clear, work. doesn't it? <laughs> yes, it does.
0: It does. And that's what I was going to say. So it says, it says, first of all, they gave themselves over to fornication. Interesting statement in Romans is that God gives people over. To a reprobate mind, and mm-hmm. sin is both the uh, the catalyst and the consequence. Sin is both the reason and the result. Um, that's, so that's a good way. Yeah. So they they were so uh, passionately pursuing their lust that they're given over. But then it says going after strange flesh. Now I know you just made that application there, Martin. That that that's uh, homosexuality. Interestingly enough, I've read a couple of people who say it was because they were going after the angels. And they made the application of the days of Noah where the sons of God and the sons of man had children. It was like, Oh, of course it was still homosexuality. Uh, but that was a, was like, Oh, that's, that's an interesting take. I had not seen before time. I, don't and I know saw if you that, to that connection that. with
1: Genesis chapter six. Yes. Yeah. It wasn't compelling to me, but I, you know, I right. would not necessarily flat out assert they were wrong. The, the point is that they're, they're so. What did you mention earlier? Money and morality, right? They're, mm-hmm. they're going after strange flesh apostates in some sense can always be identified by their sensuality and living. Yes. Um, again, this, this comes to mind because I'm preaching and teaching through uh, cults and false religions now, but you, it's astounding. You look at the similarities between like a Muhammad and a Jim Jones and a Joseph Smith. Um, mm-hmm. They, they, they have the same hallmarks in their life. They're like copies of each other in their error and in their, their, their pursuit of strange flesh. So, yeah, with all three of
2: these groups, it's, it's deviance, isn't it? You know, they, it is. they're deviating from God's ordained course. Now, I think strange flesh can mean homosexuality. It could be interspecies perversions, and, and sadly, we're seeing yeah. more and more of that. Anything um, outside of God's really design. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. And that's where all three of them were wrong. The Israelites deviated doctrinally because they didn't trust God, even though they knew the truth. The demons deviated devotionally because they were created for wholehearted dedication and sodom and gomorrah deviated practically by just lusting and going after everything they wanted mm-hmm. and destroying marriage in the home um and so it's a consistent theme all the yes. way through those verses and tom your your point is is actually
0: further uh, verified in scripture in second peter chapter 2 verse 10 because that's the passage on doctrines of devils and false teachers, and it Mm -hmm. says, but chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government, presumptuous are they self-willed, they're not afraid to speak evil of dignities and so on and so forth. But that idea of sensuality and uncleanness is included almost every time the New Testament brings up false teachers. That one of the end results is
1: immorality. Right. It's, you mentioned earlier, talked about uh, those that would pervert the gospel. And of course, pervert just means twist. And mm-hmm. it used to be that these sort of, of lifestyles would be called perverted. And of course, they're not anymore. They're celebrated, right? which is an indication of where our society's at. That's not this podcast. But but of course, you can see the, the, the characteristics there. But to pervert means to twist. And, and I believe that the devil hates God and he hates mm-hmm. everything God loves, everything God stands for. And so if, I, I, I don't want to be controversial here, but I think if God had said marriage was between man and man, the devil would have said it's between man and woman. I, I, don't, I don't think the devil is... is he just wants to, if, if God is for something, he wants to make it the opposite. He wants to, yep. he wants to twist it out of recognition and out of shape. And right. so he doesn't, it doesn't matter in which way it gets twisted, which way you use the word deviate, Brother Wiggins, it doesn't matter which way it deviates away from what God designed. The fact is the devil wants to deviate it, which I'm not sure is a great grammatical phrase, but that's mm-hmm. his idea is to twist or pervert, to change it from what God intended it to be.
0: Right. And I, I go back again to Second Peter chapter 2, verse 14. Uh, so I'm still here, just kind of going down through this, Tom, while you were talking. Um, but, if, but it further identifies the false teacher as having eyes full of adultery, and that cannot cease from sin. I mean, he's addicted, mm-hmm. he is addicted in, in a very bad way to sin. Mm-hmm. And then that then means that he has eyes full of adultery, he cannot stop sinning, and he beguiles unstable souls. Think about that statement in second Peter and heart. They have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children. <laughs> you don't want to be a false teacher. God doesn't, God doesn't like that.
2: Man. Yeah. Well, misery loves company and so do sinners. You know, the, the one thing I think oh, that yeah. eases the conscience, a little bit of one sinner is to get someone else to sin with him. Yes. And false teachers, are they, they do that. They drag everyone else down with them, not just in their belief, but in their behavior. And that's also in our text, Jude verse 8. It says, likewise, also these
0: filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Now, defile the flesh. Okay, we've already covered that. But despising dominion and speaking evil of dignities, what are we talking about there?
1: I'd give two thoughts very quickly, and then I'm curious about what the Wiccans thinks. But despise dominion, it depends how you define the word dominion, but I think what you'll find often... Uh, with uh, false prophets and false teachers is an effort to tear down God given authority. Uh, mm-hmm. Whether that's authority in the home, which is the father and the husband, or it's authority in the church, which is the pastor, or it's authority in the in the country, which is the government, uh, you'll often find those torn down. Um, a- along with speaking evil of dignities, that's the that that's a similar uh, sort of a same thing. Which is you remember when Paul uh, was being. Um, uh, interrogated uh, harshly with uh, physical brutality. Uh, he referred to the high priest as a white wall in the book of Acts. And mm-hmm. then the person standing next to him said, you shouldn't say that to the high priest. And he said, essentially, he said, I'm sorry. I didn't realize it was high priest. I wouldn't have said that, right? Because you shouldn't speak evil of dignities.
0: Well, I, I actually think that's more along the line of despising dominion still. Speaking evil of dignities, that seems to be explained in verse 9. Where it says yet Michael the Archangel when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bringing against him a railing accusation, but said the Lord rebuke thee. So I take this a little bit of a different direction on that because <laughs> of the application of Satan. Uh, some of these deliverance ministries today? Mm. Oh yes. No, I agree with Yeah. Yeah. Th- where you're that go, is I agree with where you're going with that. Oh my word. I mean, you know, Martin's shaking his head. I've never seen Martin's he's <laughs> Hey, Brother
1: Wickens, so what do you think about Greg Locke? <laughs>
2: I think his biography is in the little letter of, of Jude. Now, that was maybe a little bit strong, but
1: <laughs> well, no, agree. No, no, not no, not no. so I, sure. I agree. I'm not so sure, I, I agree. I, I, no, yeah. based
2: on what this
0: says, is yeah. speak evil of yeah. dignities, and I even get a little nervous reading about Billy Sunday telling the devil to come up and fight a couple of rounds with you, with Billy. You know, uh, Michael himself, yeah. the archangel, he would not rebuke the devil,
2: but said, "The Lord rebuked thee." That, there is a lesson there to be learned. I think he is a character study of what you see in this passage. Now, I would never stand judge over someone else's salvation, but you look sensual, you know, no, tearing down. I wouldn't home, say never. Like, well, I wouldn't really, say never. Maybe not on right. Honestly, no, I'm just kidding, but I, 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 I would do it very carefully, but I, I think he has mm-hmm. gone down a road, which is just devastating. And it is devastating to thousands. And, uh, you know the yeah the, we, we don't have we don't have time to cover the issues i've got with uh with, with him you know you know sadly honestly though i think i think you're right when you say
0: that his that so much of what we're talking we're talking about today it's it's mm-hmm. the immorality but then it's also the the whole nobody's going to tell me what to do and mm-hmm. and yeah i mean i'm all for you know listen i'm all for standing up and speaking for truth when the government is telling us it's okay to murder babies do things like that i'm i'm against speaking out or i 'm for speaking out against that i 'm for freedom i'm for voting my values, all of those things uh but some people take mm-hmm. it so far and it's attractive oh somebody's finally it's, saying it you know
2: they they love the fight they they're doing yeah. it because they are they they like the battle they like to and it brings them fame and prosperity you know and yes yes but which you false know, it's, teachers it's, it's, need fame and prosperity. Yeah, it feeds their ego. And, uh, you know, as we were talking, I was thinking about C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Letters. And even, mm-hmm. you know, his, his kind of conversation there between the demons, how the one demon is, that, you know, really just being taken for a ride by the senior demon and eventually he consumes him. And false teachers are that way. They think they're in control they think they can enter into the realm of casting out demons and you know that stupid poster going around with greg Locke and bible whatever his name is you know and other demon slayers like michael the archangel wouldn't step up in such a bold way and it's dangerous ground but you you see it so often with with these guys and it's it's just devastating to the truth and to genuine followers of christ
0: you know, there was probably a time that I would have been against, you know, bringing certain names up like that and just castigating them, whatever, because I thought, ah, eh, let's just not give them any free airtime. But you know, certainly, certainly at this at the point where we're 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 playing video movies in theaters about alleged demon exorcisms and there's witches here tonight and I'm going to, you know, so anybody who comes who, who is against you or who calls out your false doctrine is a witch is what that translates to. Um, hmm. and then you're, you know, you're binding a Bible to a baseball bat and hitting people with it. Come on, man. Come on. That's just, as an aside, good. I think we've,
2: go ahead. No, I, was gonna say, I, I think we, I definitely need to have a better, a more full approach to this whole idea of demons because the, 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 increased incre- you know, interest in UFOs and the likes of Greg Locke who moved from what were IFB circles and, and has kind of maintained those connections. Um, there's something in the air and, and I think we've got to be ready for it. Not to be taken yeah, away by it, but to not to be taken
1: by surprise. Mm-hmm. I didn't intend to bring him up. It was sort of just a, I know how much, but the wickets can't stand him. So it was just a dig at him. But now that we've spent a couple of minutes paying our respects to him, it is a good exercise, I think, in practical application of the book of Jude. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because yep. it, it, it's not just a thought exercise. It's a—it's an IRL. Right? its a, It's an in real life exercise of... This is what you're doing. You're identifying apostates who have crept in unawares, you know, and have gradually built up a following. And lots of good people, I'm sure, follow Greg Locke and think he's really standing and speaking for the truth when he's not. And mm-hmm. so, I, I think there's this is this this past few minutes of discussion has not been a waste of time. No, I agree. And it's Good application of the Book of June. Yeah, mm-hmm. p- pardon pardon our uh,
0: our humor with Mister. Wickens, but in seriousness, it goes on to say but these speak evil of those things which they know not but mm-hmm. what they know naturally as brute beasts in those things they corrupt themselves wow so they're going to make a whole dogma and doctrine out of things they don't know anything about but yet the things they do know they're going to violate and corrupt themselves in and mm-hmm. that's that's just a such a a, a damning statement toward those who are following after false teaching and propagating the false teaching that we're seeing even playing out today. Um, it moves on to a co- another uh, set here. It says they've gone the way of Cain and, uh, and they've gone after the error of Balaam for reward. And so there's the money mm-hmm. aspect. And both actually, you know, Balaam, he, that involves both morality and money, right? It, in, it involved the curse of Balaam and all of that. And the Bible says they perished. Um, verse 12 these are spots in your feasts of charity when they feast with you feeding themselves without fear clouds they are without water carried about of winds trees whose fruit withereth without fruit twice dead plucked up by the roots raging waves of sea foaming out of their own shame wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever how's that for some good
2: writing wow (laughs) that's beautiful I read that and it's like, I know it's Holy Spirit inspired, but it's like Absolutely. Jude is just, he's just piling it on. And, you know, you, you go from those three examples, the way of Cain, a humanistic way of salvation, the error of Balaam, a humanistic desire for rewards, gainsaying of Korah, humanistic leadership. I mean, it's all, you know, right yeah. there. And then he makes it clear that description of them spots in your feasts. Um, I don't know what you think about this, but, you know, feasts there is about the, um, the Lord's table you know, it, it was uh, there among you, they're there and you, you've got to figure them out um, because they are destroying your church. That You know, these fates have, are a danger.
1: I have a little bit different approach to that. I think that might refer to when it says feasts of Charity, I think it might refer to what the early church used to call love feasts and <laughs> which essentially were uh, not to not to boil it down too simply, but similar to our church fellowships where people would bring in dinner and and everyone would share in common what was brought together. And it was an expression of love and, and, and charity toward the brethren among you. They would be there. They'd be partaking of that. Doesn't
2: that involve the Lord's table? Or maybe I've got that wrong.
1: I don't know. So bro, that's so just, what Paul was, was talking to about in, in um, Corinthians. Because
2: yeah, Corinthians, Paul said that, about so. some have lack and, you know. And Paul was in motion against hungry.
1: that. Yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe we're mm-hmm. both right. Let's mm-hmm. go with that. We're both right.
2: There you go. Yeah, I mean, filthy spots. I mean, all these phrases are so descriptive. There's spots, you know, whether that means you know a blemish, because I think I had somewhere that that the Greek word for blemish is like one letter a word, one letter away from being a stain, but also a spot like a hidden rock in a reef. You know, it's there. It's it's maybe small, but it's there, and you've got to identify it. When I preached through Second Peter, I did reference that
0: verse, and I think I I said it was one or the other, uh, either love feast or Lord's table. I said it could be one, could be the other. That's a little open ended, but I think that's Defense the way. This is a very comfortable, safe place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: But clouds they, they
0: are, are without water. water, so clouds without water that means they're they're all bark and no bite. They're a I bunch of smoke. As, and
1: I, I take that as you would expect them to be refreshing, and they're not.
0: Okay, yeah. So you yep. look
1: at a, you look at a false teacher, a false preacher, he gets up, and he's he 's going to help people he 's going to minister to people, but he 's got mm-hmm. nothing to offer because he 's got no truth and so So, people turn to that to find to find something for their soul, and there is nothing there mhm mhm well have, have you carried about come a to wind? Your church and go ahead
2: you know they come to your church and they said wow i've just i've never heard preaching like that, or you know they said, i just you know i haven 't been fed for so long, and it 's because they've been sat under these false teachers where there's there's mm-hmm. no um, I think mean Proverbs twenty five fourteen, who's boast who whoso boasteth himself of a false gift is like clouds and wind without rain. Whether Jude yeah. had that in mind, I don't know, but I mean it Well, it, it says clouds without water and carried about of wind. Mm-hmm. Um
0: which the idea of that to me is is looking for the next most sensational thing. What what can I use to get everybody on my on my team? How can I get their influence so that I can get their Money, and so I can feed my flesh
1: mm-hmm. oh, with yeah.
0: immorality. That's what it is. And then trees whose fruit withereth, then it goes a step further without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. <laughs> I mean, He's just preaching now, isn't he? You know, oh, man. I know. It's great to read it. <laughs> Raging waves of the sea foaming out their own shame. They're, they're, they're li- I, and we've seen this more so with the advent of the internet. Everything's online, all the live streaming and everything. People justifying their sin. Mm-hmm. Justifying it I've seen it pastor standing before churches saying, yes well I did this because I was stressed. It's like whoa mm-hmm. whoa man. I mean uh, foaming out their own shame like like maybe I'll get some sympathy. Um, I hope I'm not misapplying that there but that's what comes to mind when I read that and think about that is wandering stars it says uh, you know there's n- th- the idea of the North Star right is true north right this is it's oh, directional cool. <laughs> no direction. Mm-hmm. Wandering stars—you don't know where it's going to be in the sky come nighttime. But this last phrase is to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever.
1: Mm-hmm. I love that phrase for for two reasons. One is I think I think it shows us that hell is dark, mm-hmm. which I think is which I think you see elsewhere in the Word of God. Mm-hmm. Um, but years ago, I was probably thirty years ago. I read a, a biography of a obscure Scottish street preacher named. Uh, Flockhart was his last name. I think it was John, Jonathan Flockhart, John Flockhart, but he was arrested for street preaching for preaching without a license. And I want to say this is in the 1600s and he was thrown into a castle and the name of the castle was Blackness. That was the name Mm. of the castle. Mm. And he wrote, and this, this just, I remember this, you know, decades later, just looking at this and Jude preparing for today's podcast, he said, he wrote in a letter, Though I am in the darkness of blackness, I am thankful I am not in the blackness of darkness. Wow. Mm-hmm. Praise the Lord. He was, man. he was shut up in a dungeon in that castle, but he would rather have been in the dungeon of that castle than be sent yeah. to hell.
0: So I don't mean to rush us through these next five verses, but allow me to do so so we can get to the final portion. Now, in the the next five verses, it talks about Enoch uh, prophesying. Martin, you mentioned this already. The Lord cometh with 10,000 of his saints. To execute judgment, to convince all that are ungodly, among all of them, or among them all of all their ungodly deeds, deeds which they have ungodly committed, all of their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are murmurs, complainers, walkers after their own lust. Their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having man's persons in admiration because of advantage. There's again we've already covered that, but that's so powerful. And then it says in verse seventeen, "But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the po- apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ." How that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the spirit. Verses 17, 18, and 19. Do you guys think that's Paul's writing to Timothy that he's referring specifically? Maybe. I mean, it says apostles said that there would be mockers in the last time walking after their own lust. That sounds like Timothy. Regardless, verse 19... Go ahead. Well, regardless, verse 19 just kind of summarizes it all and says, this is what they do. They separate themselves to ungodliness. They're focused on their flesh, sensual, and they do not have the
2: spirit. They don't have it. They're lost. Yeah, they're rootless and fruitless. There's no evidence of the true work of God in their life, and they're ungodly. I mean, verse 15, I know we've got to get through it, but they're ungodly among you. They're ungodly deeds, and they've committed it in ungodly ways, or they're ungodly speeches and like he makes it clear they are without god um but you know i love when he gets down like you know later on but he says okay you've remembered all the bad but remember the good the apostles told you it was going to be like this right uh remember the truth remember what you've been called to um and when it says separate themselves there i mean do you think that has the idea of um they, they isolate the people they influence so that they can't be taught by someone else?
1: No, I think what Brother S. said a moment ago is the point. They've separated themselves unto ungodliness. So, what's the word sanctified mean? I mm-hmm. mean, set apart. set apart. Set apart. So, they have mm-hmm. set themselves apart. They've dedicated themselves to seek and intermeddle, to use another passage, with everything that is ungodly, which right. is a word that means literally not like God. That's what they've mm-hmm. they've separated. They've dedicated themselves, sanctified themselves to pursue these things that are that are ungodly. But mm-hmm.
0: I have I do I do uh, a, appreciate the take you you were referencing because that is a that is a, a a theory on that. Correct, Martin. Like the idea is that they separate people to themselves. Is that kind of what
2: you were asking? Well, it, I don't know. I, I I think you know Tom is right there. I think in the context, but it's just that idea. A lot of false teachers they will mm-hmm. cut themselves off. And the Jim people arms. under their influence, yeah, they'll try yeah, and yes. cut off from other, okay. whether it's by mocking the opponent, belittling them, physically isolating them. I mean, they just they don't want them to have any alternatives offered to them, and it's mm-hmm. a very cult-like kind of. Uh,
1: yeah, I was just going to say it, again, it's a very it's something you see with cults a lot, which is essentially we're the only ones who have the truth, and every you know everybody else is. Is against us. It's Jehovah's Witnesses. It's us and everybody else is Satan's organization. That's what they call mm-hmm. everybody who's not Jehovah's Witness. So, Right. And then it so just build first, up
2: into the, like that verse 20 and 21, you know, beloved, build up yourselves. And I was looking at this earlier and just thinking about so many Christians I know that drift from the church or they attend so sporadically. They're not really building themselves up, but they're not building up others up either. And then they become prime targets for right. false teachers. Okay. So I was
0: going to say, I was going to say something along those lines, but to me, verses 20 through 25, that is the how of contending for the faith. So the why is the bulk of the passage, verses four through 19. But then we're going to learn how to contend for the faith. And so it starts with that idea of building up yourselves. That's plural. Do you think that's talking about the group, the church, or do you think that's talking about the individual Christian?
1: I think it's talking about the individual. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think it's
0: not the individual. Okay. No, that's a, that's a that's a question. It's not, it's not a Yeah, no, I, I, I,
1: I but I wouldn't disagree with Martin's answer of yes, which is both essentially. Yeah. Well, if if you, you, if both, you do,
2: right. then you will build up others as well. Yeah. Well, I, I think the one naturally necessitates or leads to the other.
1: Mhm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I agree with that, Brother Wickens, but I also think there's something intensely personal about this. That phrase, for instance, keep yourselves in the love of God, right. looking mm-hmm. for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. That speaks to me on a very personal level yeah. of of it, it, I'm not gonna, i can't do something to make sure God continues to love me. Right. So that cannot be what that phrase means, right? It's not you that can't I can keep yourself I in a stay within to some be lines. Left. Right. right. It's not that I stay within some lines, so God loves me. It's that mm. I keep uppermost in my mind the fact that God does love me. How do I do it? By constantly appropriating, being conscious of, thoughtful of, grateful for the mercy of God in my life upon my dirty, rotten, heathen, no good, wretched self. And I'm that glad right, you said that it because I was done gonna it just reminds me again of how much God loves me. And so to me, verse 21 is very personal. I wouldn't quarrel with you if you give it a corporate application, but it's very personal. And I'm not trying
0: to change, I'm not trying to change the the writing of it, but do you think that what that means is keeping yourself in the knowledge and understanding of God's love
1: then? It's keeping yourselves in the mindset of God loves me. Yeah. Because again, you can't, you can't do something to make your to make yourself lovable. So the only other reasonable explanation to me, and I, maybe Brother Wickens has a different approach, is that this is this is okay. Let's say John. So you've been preaching through the apostles. I don't know if you have got to John, yeah. but the thing that when I preached through the apostles that jumped out at me about John is he always called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. Mm. Right. That that is the unique thing about him. He kept uppermost in his mind the fact that Jesus loves me, mm-hmm. and I think mm-hmm. there is something. Similar to that, here in this idea of what Jude is expressing in verse twenty one. Let's a skip over with
2: Revelation two with the church at Ephesus, where they say they left their first love. No, so they
1: I didn't think they didn't keep different. themselves
2: in the love of God. They they'd gone away from the Maybe. their love for God and God's love for them, and just just yeah, a I, thought.
1: Yeah, I, I think that goes a different direction in, in in my my love to him and Ephesians. That's or, or the church at Ephesus in Revelation two. I think that's a different mm-hmm. direction.
0: If I were a Bible church pastor, that's what I'd preach, though, Martin. So let's cool. yeah. <laughs> Let's not move too fast beyond verse twenty-two as well, where it says in the end, praying in the Holy Ghost. I mean, contending for the faith involves prayer in the Holy Ghost. So what is that? Yes. Oh my goodness. Well, James, we've been wanting to talk about James all day, fellas. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you have not because you ask not, because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. I do think we have to pray for the right things. And I think the Holy Thank Spirit Lord, guides us in little that.
1: Little mm-hmm. Doesn't Romans chapter 8 go along with that? Mm-hmm. We do not what we should pray for as we as we, as we we ought, but the Spirit itself makes intercession for us. Yeah. Right? So as I'm praying, the Holy Spirit is, he's hes bringing things to mind. He's helping me with what I pray, mm. but he's also in some sense correcting what I pray. Um, mm-hmm. He's also empowering what I pray. Uh, yeah. I think there's a whole lot you could unpack there, uh, but we don't talk about the Holy Spirit enough, well, but I think there's yeah. a whole lot you can unpack there.
0: We should do that. Um, but I think that the statement that you hear a lot, I've heard a lot of preachers say that when you're praying and you're really sincerely praying in the Holy Ghost, then it may not change the situation but it will change you.
1: Absolutely. Mm -hmm.
0: And prayer is not always designed to change the situation at hand, but it may change the one praying. Um, Verse 22, of some have compassion making a difference. What do you think that means? I mean, we preach it as soul winning. Is that what it is?
1: Sure. I don't, I, I don't, I don't think that would be an uncontextual. Is that a word? An uncontextual, um, Interpretation of uh, sure. or, of that passage, I, you know. Again, because you marry it to the next verse, and others save with yep. fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating him of the garment spotted by the flesh. And again, verse twenty three has different different interpretations to it. But both of those together, I think, show you the desire of reaching mm-hmm. out and rescuing people. So whether I'm mm-hmm. rescuing people who have been captured by some apostates seducing words, mm-hmm. or I'm rescuing someone who's just been captured by sin. I'm still, as a child of God, going to have a priority in my life and corporately, if you want to give a corporate application of pursuing sinners. Every good Christian is after people with the gospel. Every good church is after people with the gospel. And I think both of those verses indicate that we should and how we should. Pulling them out of the fire.
2: Specifically, what fire? The fires of hell?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I want to have a 22... Verse twenty two is compassionately helping the struggling, so you're you're helping the converted, but they're not grounded in the truth, and you're trying to uh, kind of prevent problems. And verse twenty three, and this is goes, you know, it's what Tom was saying. You're cautiously helping the strain. Um, I know some would make a connection with Zechariah three two, where it describes Israel as being like a, a brand plucked from the fire. Uh, they'd been captives in Babylon, but God had brought them back and established them again in Israel. So, again, it's the idea of of recapturing those who've maybe been drawn away by false teaching. But uh, I think it goes, you know, to what Thomas was saying, it's outreach. It's, it's trying to rescue those who are being deceived. It's trying to reach out with the gospel to those who are lost. Yeah. It,
1: is, it is so heartbreaking when you go soul winning on a regular basis, however you do your soul winning, that's another conversation. But when you when you regularly interact with people about Jesus Christ, the the depth of the error they believe, and mm-hmm. how heartbreaking it is who they've chosen to believe, what they've chosen to believe, and how sad their destination is. Um, how can you not help but have compassion on that? You know, doing mm-hmm. all you can to snatch them, to rescue them. Right right
0: it, and it says save with fear i mean is that the kind of fear that is often it's in the new testament basically it's a but by the grace of god there go i it's um being sure, sure that you are you are spiritually strong enough to to wage warfare in an arena that is filled with all kinds of demonic forces and i mean is
1: is that what that fear is all about I've seen two different interpretations of that. One is what you just described. Mm-hmm. The other is that we're going to preach hell. We're going to preach judgment. We're going to preach sin and we're going to scare people into heaven. Um, I'm not against the second interpretation in application. I don't think it's wrong to preach judgment, to preach hell. Uh, but I don't think that that is what Jude's saying. I think what Jude is saying is what you just said, Brother Russ, which okay. is that as we reach out to, to rescue people, we must be cautious. We must be careful that we mm. don't fall ourselves yeah. prey to the same diseases they've fallen prey to the same hooks that have captured them that they don't capture us
0: hating um, even the garment spotted by the flesh
1: precisely that 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 I want I want to be careful I don't catch the same thing this is not a this is not a holier than thou it's not a you know I I, I don't want to uh, it, it, it's a very compassionate outreach but it's a compassionate outreach that says God help me while I do this protect me while I do this. Um, Mm-hmm. Don't let me fall while mm. I do this.
0: Yeah, Paul said I, he didn't want to be a castaway. Yeah. After he'd helped mm. everybody else, he didn't sure. want to be a castaway.
2: And he Martin, speaks about to, that in you, Galatians you, as well, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, it, yep. You know, when you're mm-hmm. helping others, uh, you've got to be mindful. Um, let every man. Nah, I can't see it now.
1: But you anyway, about the yeah, passage one another's those burdens. Yeah. Galatians
2: yeah. 6. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in verse one, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. tempted. So um, that that was was in my mind, but I couldn't remember it. Yeah. 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 Martin, do you want to finish this out with the last two verses? I think the last two verses end with a a tremendous note of hope. Uh, Verse 24, I think the way I see it is the hope of salvation now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Mm. You know, that's the hope of the salvation that is ours. And I see in there, you know, just a wonderful truth about sanctification, you know, salvation, security, sufferings, you know, the promise of joy that's there. And then verse 25, I think it's the hope of praising God. He ends with this, uh, doxology to the only wise God, our savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Uh, you know, his hope there is in praising God exclusively, praising God's wisdom, praising God's salvation that he gives, God our Savior, praising his character of glory and majesty, praising his authority, dominion and power, his eternality, now and forever. Um, just just wonderful, powerful verses to end this short epistle in. Amen. Amen. Any further thoughts, Tom?
1: No sure.
0: I had the thought. You mentioned the verse 24 about justification and sanctification, but there's also glorification. He presents (laughs) you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. I mean, you know, there's going to be a a day where we get to realize that.
2: He just ends the whole thing in hope. He's like the apostates are out there. The fight is tough. People are hurting, but there's hope. Yes. Amen.
1: Yeah, it does. It ends very positively for what is, in sections, a dark book.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amen. Well, guys, I always enjoy this. Uh, this is like my sermon prep for Sunday night anyway, so thanks for helping me out here. And uh, <laughs> no, in all seriousness, if this if this is something that sparks, a, you know, a creative uh, strain in someone's mind and they go on to develop a sermon series and use anything that's said on, on this podcast, that's just fine with us. And um, I think I think probably there will, like I said, I haven't spoken from this passage for a while and I've, I've been thinking about doing that. So um, that may be something that I do soon as well. But guys, thanks for spending time with us today and appreciate our listeners tuning into the podcast. Let us know if it was a blessing to you today.